Have you ever had a conversation that really kind of opened your eyes to some things that were going on in your life that you knew, but you, in the moments that you were in, you didn't know, you weren't living according to? Uh, I can remember my senior year of high school, and um, my dad worked a job that basically allowed me to be home before him in the afternoon, so school would get out and I would drive home, and uh, dad wouldn't be there till 4.35, and you know, I would have my routine. My brother was off in college, and I would have my time at home, but on one particular day when I pulled in the driveway, uh, my dad's truck was there, and for a moment it took me back, just I wonder why dad's home. And as I walked into the house, into the living room, uh, my dad says, have a seat, son. And I knew, I just knew those words, have a seat, son. I knew something was, something was about to go bad. And uh, it turns out that I had made a few dumb decisions that in my own life didn't seem terribly tragic, didn't seem terribly bad, but... My dad, in that moment, when he says, sit down, son, I, I knew immediately what we were going to talk about. And uh, he, he began the conversation and brought up the issues that I knew he was going to bring up. And as he began to talk to me, I kind of went into defensive mode. You know, you ever done that? Like trying to say, wait, let me explain this. Let me help you understand. And the few times that I tried to talk, uh, I was told it wasn't my turn to talk. It was my turn to listen. And for about 45 minutes, I listened, and I heard a lot of the same things over and over, uh, as if maybe I, I weren't smart enough to catch them the first time. You wanted to make sure they kept coming back around. And uh, at the end of the conversation, uh, I understood that my actions in life don't affect just me, and I understood that the things that I sometimes get really focused on, that consume my life, consume my world in, in those moments, uh, are really small, insignificant moments that are part of a big life that affects everyone around me. And uh, hearing my dad tell me in those moments that he loved me, but I had really disappointed him in some areas, it really brought up a different angle to some choices that I was making. And I don't know, maybe you've, you've had some conversations uh, with a spouse, and maybe you didn't realize that what you were doing or what you weren't doing was such a big deal to them. Uh, maybe you had a conversation with a boss, an employer, who basically said some things that you're doing, you may not realize this, but um, they're not good. They need to change. There needs to be some adjustments. Some things in your life aren't the way they should be, and if they aren't fixed, then there's going to be some consequences and, and maybe you've had those conversations and maybe in those moments like a light bulb goes off and you realize, yeah, yeah, I, I need to change something. Like I'm, I'm looking at things the wrong way. I've got the wrong perspective and the way that I'm approaching these situations isn't healthy for me and for those around me. And uh, Jesus had a lot of words that he spoke to his closest followers. He called them his disciples, uh, which by the way, you and I are called disciples if we follow Christ. And so I think that these words apply to us as well, but even among, beyond his disciples, there were crowds that had gathered around to hear things that Jesus would, would speak and would teach about, and he would, he would often say things that kind of went against the grain of what people embraced, 
And, and some of those words were hard to accept, and a lot of people didn't accept those words. And a lot of people, because of the words that Jesus spoke, refused to follow Jesus because it would cause them to change. And, and uh, a lot of us don't like change. A lot of us enjoy the lives that we live, and we enjoy uh, sometimes even our vices and things that we know we shouldn't enjoy, we enjoy anyway. And so we're going to look at something that Jesus says today that when, when you hear it, you're going to think it's pretty stern. And truth be told, it is. It's pretty stern. It's some pretty stern words that Jesus says that have some pretty big implications for our life. But, but hopefully, my goal by the end of our time today, over the next 30 minutes or so, is that you would leave thinking, yeah, I get it. I get it. I've got a, a wrong perspective here, and I need to kind of adjust that because if I don't, there's going to be some consequences. There's going to be some unhealthy outcomes based on some decisions or, or some life choices that I'm making right now or just the whole direction of my life, the way it's going. And so if you have a Bible, I'm going to look at those words now, Matthew chapter number 10. And uh, I'm going to give you some context after I share the words with you, but I just want you to feel the weight of these words uh, alone by themselves as, as we start together. This is Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. This is Jesus speaking. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Let me read that again. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. Of the one, there's one, God, who can destroy both the, the soul and the body in hell. Who can bring complete destruction to our existence if we fail to fear him in the right ways. And uh, so I want to talk to us today about living lives that are fearless based on a fear that we put in the right place, okay? Um, so let me, let me kind of give you some context, and then we'll come back and, and we'll, we'll make this make a little more sense to you. Actually, I want to read most of chapter 10 to us, uh, because these words that Jesus are speaking, he's speaking to his disciples, his closest followers, and they're in the context almost of a pregame speech. Some of you, you played sports and you knew... On big games, your coach would really try to pump you up. He would, he would have words to say to motivate you to do what you're about to do. Uh, big game, what, what not. And he would begin to point out something that you should stay focused on for, for that, the duration of that game. And, and Jesus is giving, I just said it, it's kind of a pregame speech. It's a motivational talk. It's last-minute instructions before he sends his disciples out. And so let me kind of just start back at the beginning of Chapter 10, it says, He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. This is Jesus calling his disciples to him and giving them the authority to do things he's been doing. People would have known in this day that Jesus, he, he would have drawn out, driven out demons, he would have healed people, he would have performed miracles, and now he's gathering his closest followers around him and he's given them authority to do the same things and you can imagine the excitement in the room like I get to do that like I get to do what you've been doing this is going to be awesome I can't wait like let me get out there and like find somebody that has a demon like who, who searches out people with demons right and I just want to cast that demon out find somebody that's sick I'm going to heal them this is going to be incredible 
Verse 2, these are the names of the 12 apostles, and he lists those. Let's jump down to verse number 5. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or any of the towns of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So he tells them who they're going to minister to in his authority that he's given them. As you go, verse 7, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. I mean, this is great. I want to be part of this crowd. Dead people, you know, like I get to, to raise dead people to life. Can't wait, man. Sign me up. I'm there. That's great. Yeah, and let me just say, how many times do we potentially live such boring Christian lives when Jesus has given us authority to act on his behalf? When he's, he's entrusted us with his ministry on the earth and, and we're sometimes content to kind of sit on the sidelines and, and just kind of spectate and watch. But here we see Jesus is saying, you guys are going to do some incredible things. I mean, I can just imagine the excitement in the room. And then he, and then he, he keeps going. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. So as you're going to do these things that you're really excited about, don't take anything with you. I want you to trust me to provide for you. Don't go out there prepared to endure lots of things. You just go as you are and trust me. A worker is worthy of his keep and, and I will provide ways to sustain your life as you're going. Verse 11 Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. And as you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet. And when you leave that home or town, I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. You know, this is starting to get a little uncomfortable, Jesus. Like, I'm all for the raising dead people to life. I'm all for the healing the sick. I mean, there's blind people, and they're going to see this. is going to be great. I can't wait. That'll be incredible. Tell my kids about this. Tell my grandkids about this. But why can't I take things to make my journey comfortable? And now you're telling me that you're sending me out as a wolf, as a sheep among wolves? I've seen sheep. Around wolves, it's not good. The wolves enjoy eating sheep, and you're sending me out like that. This isn't kind of going the way I, I wanted. Like, I thought that I would become famous here. I thought that I would have this huge following like, like you, and, and people would come, and they would know my name. I would be known. People would want me. They would just come from miles away to see me. But you're telling me here that this is, this is not going to be completely enjoyable, and then he keeps going. Be on your guard against men. Verse 17. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Oh, and by the way, in the process, you're going to be beaten and flogged, you'll be arrested, you'll put on, be put on trial, they'll be asking you lots of difficult questions. You probably won't know the answers, but it's okay, I'll give you the answers, just trust me, it's going to turn out good. I know that you don't like the way that sounds, but 
this is a huge mission and I can just feel all the energy just kind of sucked out of the room. Like I don't know if I don't know if I still want in on this, Jesus. Like like the, all the miracles and stuff that were gonna make me famous, like I was for that. I could probably build a following and get rich off this, but now you're telling me I'm gonna be beaten and arrested and tried, false accused of things. It's not looking good, not looking good. Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. Congratulations, guys. All men, they'll hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I'll tell you the truth. You will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. You're like, this is just getting worse getting nervous now like do I have to go like are you telling me now that I have to go or is this voluntary because I might back out if I can Jesus is entrusting this huge huge responsibility he's now teaching his 12 disciples what it means to follow him and to go in his authority and do things that he does to preach and teach and to perform miracles but with it it's going to come some unattractive consequences that initially probably wouldn't have been on the top of their list of, hey, Jesus, can we please experience this? Like, I would love that. You're going to see some hard things. It's going to be difficult. I think Nick Saban would probably say, Jesus, let me give you some pointers on the pregame speech here. Like, you're not really motivating them so much. I mean, there's a little bit of a fear, maybe, in your followers at this point. They may not have confidence to go and do what you're doing. I mean, yeah, Jesus was the greatest leader ever to walk the earth, and he continues. The student is not above his teacher, nor servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of the household? Then he's going to tell them to be courageous in the midst of this. Verse 26, so do not be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. But I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight what is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Second time here, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more the many sparrows. Jesus has entrusted this huge task and rather than sending his disciples out naively thinking that they would be rock stars, he kind of breaks it to them up front. He has this awkward conversation where he basically says, it's not going to be what you expect. I've given you a huge responsibility, but with that it's going to come some difficult times and you're going to have to be strong and you're going to have to be courageous Three times he says, do not be afraid, do not fear. There's nothing to be afraid of as you're going and experiencing all these negative things around you, brother betraying brother, father killing son. I mean, people just up in arms because of what you're teaching and what you're doing. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And it's almost as if the disciples would have been hesitant to do what God had called them to do because of what it entailed and what it encompassed. I think many times that's, that's kind of our approach, is we enjoy 
the benefits of following Christ, but sometimes some things that he asks us to do don't feel as comfortable. Maybe at the workplace, you just feel an impression, like a whispering in your spirit to, to do something, to say something, and, and you know you know that it's not going to be accepted. You know that it's not going to be embraced. You know that you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. You know that there's going to be some backlash to some things that you're going to say. And because of that potential negative reaction, we sometimes fear that reaction to the point that we prefer not to obey God. It's a difficult place that, that we live in, in, such a society where we're driven by the approval of men in the approval of women, the approval of society, the approval of the status quo, the, the filter that we look through life with is a filter that puts people ahead of God. And our initial thoughts are, what are people going to think about this? What are people going to think about me? How are people going to react? How are people that I don't even know that I'll probably never see again react when they see me doing this or saying this? The list goes on and on of how we live our lives in fear of men. But Jesus makes some, a statement that really should revolutionize the way we view men in light of, of God. And so I want to I give you three kind of observations that I see in this statement of Jesus. And then I'm going to give you some social media fuel like I did last week. And we'll end our time together. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Here's my first observation. Notice that Jesus makes a distinction between the body and the soul. Notice that, that he talks about people who can harm the body but can't harm the soul. But there is one who can harm both the body and the soul. There's this distinction that we live with in the reality of is, is our body is separate. It's, it's different. It's unique. It's not the same as our soul. And one day we're, we're all going to die unless the Lord comes before we pass away. Now, scripture tells us that it's appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. So, so we're all going to die. And when we die, the body that we see, the body that we've lived with, the body that we've cared about for so long it's going to be buried in the ground and eventually will decay, to deteriorate, will return to dust, will become nothing more than, than just dirt. But have you ever thought about how much attention we give to our bodies? How much thought we put into the perception of, of our physical being, the way we look, the way we're perceived, and beyond just our physical bodies, but, but our physical characteristics, our personality, feeling accepted, the way people think of us, when they hear our name, what do they think, and it drives, it drives a lot of us. I mean, especially in our culture, in our society, people care so much about the way they look that they pay lots of money to change the way they look because they want to look different. Uh, there's a pressure, especially on young ladies, young women, to look a certain way, uh, to fit a certain mold that our society has defined as beautiful potentially and 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 there's young women who do lots of crazy insane unhealthy things to try to look certain ways and fit certain standards and the reason they do that is because 
we all want to feel approved. We all want to feel accepted. We all want to feel impressive on a front. But did you know that it's possible for a man to be able to bench press, I don't know, five, six hundred pounds, yet have a soul that's weaker than most? And on one front, people look and and see a a strong, a a powerful man, yet his soul's different from his body. And and on the inside, his soul, what matters most, what's actually going to live for eternity, either in heaven or hell, can be so weak and so fragile and so unhealthy that the most beautiful of women in all the world can be gorgeous by the world's standards on the outside and their body, their physical being can be praised and, and mimicked and people will try to look like them and, and have their hairstyles and, and get their body augmented to look like certain people. Yeah, on the inside, these women can be ugly, unattractive, very different from the outside. And Jesus makes this distinction between the body and soul, that we need to remember that the life we live isn't just a physical life. It's not just the here and now, my body, my surroundings, my relationships, everything in this physical, natural world. But, but Jesus points out that there's, there's another side to life that if you have the right perspective, you'll understand it's more important than the physical life. That on, on those fronts, we would probably rather not be accepted physically and, and rather be our soul, our spirit, our inner being be much, much more attractive than, than the outside. So that's the first observation that, that, that we need to make sure we know. Okay, that's what sets us apart as human beings from the rest of creation is that we have a body and a spirit, a body and a soul. Okay, all the, all the animals, all the birds, everything that we see around us, they have physical bodies like us, but they don't have souls. They weren't created in God's image like we were. We're unique, we're... We're created in the likeness and the image of God, being that we have a spiritual side. We have a soul. And so many times we fear those who can harm the physical side. And that's what kind of directs a lot of our decisions and choices in life. And we fail to remember that the soul we have is far more than than just the body we live. And, And so Jesus says, there's men out there there are those, those men, those women, those people, they can harm the body, yes. They can imprison you, they can flog you, they can beat you, they can even kill you. But they can't touch your soul. That's something we need to remember. The second observation here is, is the different distinction, the distinction in audiences that Jesus points out. He says, there are those who can kill the body, who are those? Those men, those women, those, those people, the society, the culture, the leaders, the people that you're going to be going to minister to, the people that you're going to be among. You're going to the lost sheep of Israel. You're going out to people who are far from me, and you have this huge task of carrying the name of Jesus and the authority of him, and you're going to be doing great things. You're going to be healing people, raising the dead, casting out demons, but you're going to be doing it among a people who don't have your best interest at heart when it comes to your soul, when it comes to your message, when it comes to your cause, when it comes to the very reason I'm calling you to go out. There are going to be a group of people that you're constantly going to be around 
who aren't going to embrace what you're saying. Some will, but not all will. And out there in the world, there's an audience that you're going to be living in front of. And you're going to have a tendency, you're going you're to be attracted to wanting that audience to approve, to applaud, to think that the things that you're doing are worth applauding, to, to want to see you do more. And you're going to want their approval because that's what's going to, really it's what's going to drive a lot of the interactions that you have with these people. I mean, who doesn't want people to approve? Who doesn't want people to like them? Who wants to go out and do something for the purpose of being mocked, made fun of, criticized? No one wants that. But Jesus says, those are the people you're going to be around. And and let me just give you a warning. They don't have your best interests in mind. And always remember that you shouldn't be afraid of them because there's one who not only can kill your body but can destroy your soul in hell. And so Jesus points out the audience that we live in front of, the fame of man, the culture or society, those that we're going to be among here on the earth. And then there's one, God. They both have opinions of what we're doing. They both are watching. They both are seeing what we're doing. But there's completely different reactions. In fact, I love how Luke records this statement. Um, I don't know if you know this, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are, are written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're considered the four Gospels. And uh, several of these men tell of the same stories and the same conversations, but they have different perspectives. And so Luke has a perspective of this. In Luke chapter number 12, verse 4 and 5, and I love how he says this. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. Like, like he's saying, that's the worst they can do. They can kill your body. That's it. They can't do any more than that. But fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And it's almost this, this pride, this just rising up, this, this hope, this belief that we can be fearless among these people because what's the worst that can happen? They kill us. And for most of us, we'd be like, yeah, that's enough for me not to be part of that. They can kill me. And that's because we think in terms of our body, our physical being. But Luke, Matthew, records Jesus telling us, there's one, there's an audience of one. He's got potential to destroy your soul. He can send you to hell. Let me just... That's the one you should fear. That's what Jesus is saying. Like, kill your body, your soul lives on. Destroy your body and your soul, which is worse. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, listen to me. It's almost like I'm sitting on the couch and my dad's giving me these words and I'm like, yeah, that's a big deal. I didn't really consider that. I've considered being killed. You were telling me about the flogging and and brother betraying brother and father turning on his son, being, being tried. Like, I've heard of people being put to death. Like, that's what entered my mind. And, yeah, I was a little hesitant, to be honest with you, but I didn't really consider that there's one who can destroy my soul in hell. Maybe I should kind of lean that more. 
Because the third observation is, is the, the, two, the two punishments, the two consequences that these audiences can bring to our life. And one is merely physical. I know at some level we all fear death. I know at some level none of us wants to die. We want to we we grow up. We want to be married. We want to have kids. We want to grow old with the person we love. We have an ideal life in our mind and when that's achieved then we'll say at this point you know I'm, I'm ready to go I've, I've enjoyed everything that I wanted here on this earth but until then you know I don't really want to do things that can kind of endanger or prohibit some of that from happening it's because it's because we fear consequences to our body some people won't jump out of an airplane some people won't use a gun some people won't go scuba diving some people won't do things because they have a fear of something happening to their body and that same fear can transfer to how we perceive people in our life. Some people won't get on a stage. They won't talk in front of people because they have a fear of what people are going to say or what people, how people are going to react. They have this overwhelming, paralyzing fear that's driven by people. I can ask certain people, hey, would you get up and just say a few words? And like, no, don't you ever do that to me. Well, what drives that? It's, the, it's, it's people. It's the fear of people. People are going to be listening to me. People are going to be watching me. They're going to see me. They're going to hear me. And they're going to have an opinion about me. And so I can kind of deter that and, and refrain from doing that. And they won't have an opinion about me in that regard. And so I'll be good. So pe- people don't. They don't do things that they would love to do in life because they're afraid of how people are going to perceive them and what they're going to say and how they're going to react and what they're going to do. And this fear that's driven by people, it's paralyzing. It's paralyzing. You just talk to a woman who's in an abusive relationship and the, the paralyzation that comes from if I say something, if I do something, I'm going to experience a punishment, a consequence, and so I'm just going to keep quiet and try to be good and live my life. It's because of their fear of what's going to happen to them. You're afraid of what your boss is going to say if you don't do the exact right thing, and so you live this paralyzing life. Like, don't mess up, don't screw this up. People are watching, people are looking. You know, I can't go to the grocery store unless I got my makeup on and my hair is fixed just right, you know, because somebody might see me. And as silly as that sounds, that's how we live a lot of our life. So we want the approval of man and we want the praise of man and we want people to applaud our lives rather than condemn us, rather than criticize us, rather than write about us in the newspapers because of something that we've done or something that we've said. But here's the context that Jesus is speaking to his disciples about it. It's the context of going and doing ministry in the authority of Jesus. Do you ever think about how Jesus has given us his authority to go and and do what he's called us to do? To go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded them. And Surely I will be with you till the end of the age. That he's given us this huge task to carry his name to proclaim the goodness of God, to bring hope to the hopeless. So many times I have conversations with people and experience it myself where there's an opportunity to share Jesus, there's an opportunity to share a story of how God's done something in our lives that would benefit someone else. And 
We just kind of draw back. It's like, it's the hardest thing in the world to bring this up, but I just want to say, Jesus loves you. Okay, awesome. I said it. Cool. Can I share more? Oh, no, okay. And it's almost as if, like, can you imagine, can you imagine someone who had cancer? They discovered an herb that they could eat and the cancer would disappear. Like, they're just out in the wilderness. They found this plant and they're like, I'm hungry, and they ate it. And they went back to the doctor and they're like, you don't have cancer anymore. And they're like, what'd you do? Like, I don't know, I ate this plant. The doctor tells someone else, go and eat that plant, and they had cancer, and the cancer's gone. Can you imagine if those people were just like, don't tell anybody about this, because they'll go and they'll eat that plant, and we don't want people to know about that plant, because I might run out of that plant. There's not enough to go around, so we just will keep this to ourselves. And can you imagine if you were a friend of that person, and you had cancer, and you're dying of cancer, and you're on your deathbed, and they never brought you some of this herb to eat that could cure you of your cancer. What kind of lack of love because they might say, yeah, I'm not really into plants. I, I like meat, so I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat that plant. Like, I'm, I'm not a salad guy. So you mean to tell me they're not a salad guy, but you've got some salad they can eat and it's going to cure their cancer, but you're not going to tell them about it because they just like meat. I mean, as ridiculous as that sounds, is that how we live sometimes? Like we carry the name of Jesus who brings hope to the hopeless, who brings life to dead souls. But because people haven't embraced Jesus, in fact, some people have criticized people who have embraced Jesus, that we don't want to share that hope with them because we're fearful of our bodies, the words that will be spoken to us. And Jesus says, there's going to be consequences. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have to take some risks. You're going to have to be uncomfortable in some areas. And you're going to have to do some things that you might not want to do and experience some things that you might not want to experience. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Because at the end of the day, the worst that could possibly happen to you is you die. That's the worst. The worst that could happen is you're embarrassed. The worst that can happen is, I say they don't want to hear what you're talking about. The worst that could happen is they make fun of you. The worst that could happen is they criticize you and tell you that you're a weak-minded person and you don't, they don't need a crutch for their life. The worst that can happen is they can tell you never to talk to them about it again. And we're afraid of that. Why are we afraid of that? Why are we more afraid of that than obeying the call of God in our lives. When he's the one that we're going to stand before on judgment day. Who has the power, the authority, the ability to destroy. Not only our body but our soul. And hell. It's a pretty big deal. And when you look at it in those terms. A, a conversation with someone that could embarrass you. A, an act of kindness that could backfire seems very small in light of a God that can send you to hell. And you're saying, if I don't tell somebody about Jesus, is Jesus going to send me to hell? I'm not saying that. I'm not telling you if you disobey God one time, then you're going to hell. I'm not saying that. 
But I'm saying, why live in the fear of man that's driven by our approval rather than wanting to please the one who can destroy everything? Recently, my almost four-year-old Landon has been afraid of shadows in his room at night. He's got a nightlight, and we put him to bed, and honestly, part of it is he's not ready to go to bed, and he's trying to find excuses to stay up longer. And so, uh, because he's at an age where he can get out of bed and sneak out of the house without us knowing, we've turned his doorknob around, and we lock him in his room at night. <laughs> True story. Some of you may have done that. I don't know. I prefer not to get up in the morning and my son have knives like blood everywhere. So we lock him in his room and it'll be five minutes and he'll come and he'll bang on the door. You know, got to go potty. Okay, go potty. You know, I want something to drink. And here recently it, it's been, you know, I don't like the shadow. I don't like the shadow. It's a monster. It's a monster. Look at it. That's the head. You know, and he'll describe. And I'll turn the light on and I'll say, you know, look, it's, it's no monster. There's nothing here. It's, it's, just, it's just a shadow. There's nothing there. And I'll say, okay. So I'll turn the light out and I'll go back out. And he'll bang on the door again. I'll come back in. Can you, can you make the shadows go away? And he's just so terrified. He's so afraid of these shadows. And it got to the point where he was doing it so much uh, that Lindsay and I were inconvenienced. We were tired of not being able to enjoy our time together after our kids went to bed, he would drag us home for 30, 40 minutes. And so I got to the point where I walked in and I said, son, get in the bed. It's a shadow. It can't hurt you. But here's what I'm telling you. If you get out of bed and knock on that door again, I'm going to spank you. <laughs> Father of the year. <laughs> he didn't knock on the door. And at night now, he'll do it until I get to the point where I say, son, listen, if you get out of this bed, if you turn that light on, if you knock on that door, I'm going to spank you. It's time to go. It's time to go to bed. These, these shadows aren't going to hurt you. And though he was afraid of a shadow, the bigger fear from him came from his dad. And in light of what his dad had told him, he decided that he could just close his eyes and not look at shadows and it would be okay. <laughs> He'll fall asleep at some point. And that's how we need to live our lives, that there are shadows out there that if we're doing what God's called us to do, they seem, they seem scary, seem intimidating, makes us sometimes paralyzed to do what we feel like we want to do because we're afraid of what will happen. But in light of a great God that loves us and has the authority not just to Not just to make shadows go away, but can destroy who we are, can send us to hell. I mean, he's, it's a great big God up there. In light of him, the shadows aren't a big deal anymore. It's almost like Jesus is saying, you can do this. I believe in you guys. It's going to be difficult and scary, and there's going to be consequences. But at the end of the day, who do you want to please, and who do you want to live for? And I think changed things in those moment, in that moment changed for the disciples who were so excited to go and do the great things of God. And then when hearing the consequences, they shied back. It was almost like a confidence rose up and was like, yeah, we got nothing to be afraid of. The worst thing they can do is kill us. 
You know, and then we're with God in heaven. I mean, that's the worst they can do. It's nothing to be afraid of. So here's a statement I want to leave with. And um, again, if, if you're on Twitter or Facebook, you can use this as social media fuel if you want. It's a way for you to make a statement publicly. It lets people know that you learned something in church today, but can also hold you accountable to a way of life. So here's the statement. When fear of God trumps fear of man, I'm free to take a fearless stand. When fear of God is more important, it trumps fear of man. When my level of the fear of man is below my level of the fear of God, it frees me, the things that once paralyzed me, that kept me from doing things, that kept me from taking stands, that kept me from having the conversation, that kept me from the act of kindness that kept me from standing up for something that I believed in. In light of the fear of God, it frees me to take that stand, to do what he's called me to do, to have the conversation he's called me to have, to show love to the person who we don't think deserves love, to embrace those who don't seem embraceable. And of course, I know some of you love your hashtag, so after you put a reference there to Matthew 1028, so that people can kind of understand some context of why you're saying what you're saying. That's what he said. These are Jesus' words. It's not me telling you how you can go to hell one day. This is, this is Jesus. Pretty big deal there. Fear the one, not the people. Those can destroy the body, but the one can destroy both the body and the soul live our lives in fear of the one. And it's not a fear of he's looking to punish us, he's looking to destroy us. It's not like he's just waiting on us to screw up. We don't live in that same fear, but rather it's a, it's a reverence, it's a respect. It's, a, it's an honor that we extend. We're not afraid of God. We're not afraid that he's gonna punish us, but we have a fear, a healthy fear that causes us to view life through his approval over the approval of man. And then lastly, you don't scare me. You don't scare me. What's the worst you can, what's the worst that's gonna happen? And as you go through this week, that's the mental mindset that I want you to go through this week with. What's the worst that can happen if I do what God's called me to do? What's the worst that could happen if, if people are saying things that, that I don't believe in, that don't, I don't stand for, and I speak up, and I say, what's the worst that can happen? What, are they going to make fun of me? They're going to criticize me? They're going to pick on me? They're physically going to hit me? What's the worst that can happen? They're not going to think I'm the coolest person in the room anymore? I'm not going to be popular or famous? It's going to stunt my media publicity to becoming the richest person in the world based on my awesomeness? What's the worst that can happen? I'm scared of you? Listen, there's a God that loves you. The life you're living, man, I'm just telling you, it's not worth living. You're focused on the wrong things. You think you need this and you think you need that, but what you need is you need to know Jesus. He loves you. He cares about you. He gave his life for you. And this boldness that we have to stand in him is a confidence. It's based on the fear that we have for the one rather than the many. When fear of God trumps fear of man, I'm free to take 
a fearless stand. Lord, thank you for who you are, for what you say to us, even when it's difficult. Thank you for the reminder today, Lord, that who you are, pleasing you, living a life through the lens of your approval has to outweigh that of man, has to outweigh that of my family, has to outweigh that of my coworkers, has to outweigh that of the public. Would you just give us a boldness, Lord, to live a bold life, to do incredible things for you, to make a difference, to make an impact, not just to sit on the sidelines and watch other people do things for you, Lord, but to, to play a part in people's story, to extend the love that we've experienced to others, the hope that we found in you, Lord, to, to share it with others, to see you do incredible things in the lives of people. Well, there's, there's marriages all around us that need to be healed and there's addictions that need to be broken and there's bondages that have people living such tormented lives and we carry the hope of the world we carry the mission of God to go into this world, this hurting, this broken world, and, and tell them that there's a God that can fix broken things, that can repair damaged areas of our lives, that can put back together the pieces of a life that's in shambles. And it doesn't matter what your past is and what mistakes you've made and how low your life seems now, that there's a God that can, that can fix all that. It can mend all that. It can bring life to dead areas, and in that confidence, Lord, that we have, I pray that you would just use us collectively, individually, all together and alone at the same time. And as we go, would you send us in your authority? In Jesus' name, amen.